Jonah chapter 3, and this morning we're just going to uh, be looking at uh, the first uh, three verses, and actually just the first part of uh, verse 3, and uh, so uh, we'll just read those uh, verses. So Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, once again listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we again rejoice and give thanks for the gift that you have given to us in your word. And really, truly, already, what a great privilege and honor it is to be able to uh, read and to uh, sing your word, and now to uh, once again read and hear the word proclaimed. Uh, We just rejoice and give thanks because your word is our only infallible rule for faith and life. It is our spiritual food that we need to uh, nourish uh, our faith and and to grow uh, closer in our relationship with you. And so we just pray that you would be with us now and bless your word. And that as your word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, we do pray that it would truly find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil that will bring about great and abundant fruit, all for your glory. We pray now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, it's unfortunate that... The only thing that most people know about the book of Jonah is that Jonah gets swallowed up by a big fish. Again, right, that's often the, the highlight of the, the children's Bible story books and, and becomes even uh, a key a focal point of adult critics of the Bible because they say, how could there, where could this big fish come from that could swallow a man? How could he survive? Well, certainly as we've considered the Lord's provision of the great fish at just the right time to save Jonah is certainly a a key part of the book. But the book of Jonah is about much more than a big fish. It's also about much more than a rebellious prophet who's miraculously saved and now restored. Again, though this is an important theme... It's not really the main theme. And again, hopefully, as, you've, as we've been studying this book, you've been able to come to these same realizations. Because the book of Jonah isn't so much about a fish or even a man. It's an important book that reveals to us the very character and nature of God himself. It reveals to us God's sovereign power and might. That the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land, as Jonah tells of the sailors in chapter 1 verse 9, who has the power over the elements like the the wind and the waves of of the sea. And he can uh, create them, he can violently disturb those things and then also suddenly bring them to a calm all according to his will, plan, and purpose. The book reveals to us God's justice and His righteous judgment against sin. Whether it's the sin of unbelievers that God will justly condemn and judge, or even the sin of believers like Jonah, which, in which God then administers discipline 
as a loving father disciplines his son. But the book of Jonah especially highlights the abounding grace and mercy of God toward undeserving sinners. A truth that we really can't hear enough about. In fact, honestly, it's, it's simply just too much to comprehend in our own finite minds how God could be so merciful. And yet this is the God that is revealed in this book. Surely if we were the ones who were sitting on the throne of heaven, that we would have given up on the heathen sailors, we would have given up on the people of Nineveh, and even we would have given up on Jonah long ago. Death be to them. You see, because our mercy is often very short-lived. But God forever abounds in grace and mercy. It never, ever ends. And so it's no surprise that once again we see the mercy of God on display here in in Jonah chapter 3. Not only do we see that the Lord is gracious to once again bestow His mercy upon Jonah, but we also learn some important truths about the unchanging nature of God and the circumstances of our experience with His mercy, as well as the proper response that we're to have to this abounding mercy that God graciously pours out upon us. So first we want to consider the mercy of God to save and restore undeserving sinners. Now when we talk of God's mercy to save sinners, we're we're most often speaking of the great work of redemption, where the Lord is most gracious to call to Himself those who are born in sin and who are spiritually dead. Those who are unable and unwilling to save themselves or do any good thing for that matter. We're in this lost, desperate spiritual condition because of our sin natures that has been passed down to us from our first parents, Adam and Eve, who rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. Paul, the Apostle Paul declares in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And since we can't save ourselves... And since no one else, uh, no other human being born in this same condition as we are, since they can't save us, well, our only redemption and salvation must come from the Lord God. And in His great love and mercy, in His abounding grace, He saves us through Jesus Christ. Having predestined us before the foundation of the world for this purpose in time, He calls us uh, through the proclamation of the gospel, and then He redeems us to Himself as His own special people, all to the praise of His glorious name. But this gracious redemption isn't just a New Testament thing. Now you see, long before the New Testament, God was abounding in mercy toward undeserving sinners for centuries, even thousands of years. And the key difference being that in the Old Testament, the work of redemption was rooted in promises that God had made that looked forward to and would be accomplished ultimately in Jesus Christ. 
even as the, the sacrifices of, of bulls and goats that God required for His people to offer up uh, for sin pointed the people toward that once for all perfect sacrifice that the Lord God Himself would provide. And He provided that in Jesus. And so that redemption really from, Gen- uh, from uh, Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation and even beyond, even to the current day, Redemption is always and only found in Jesus Christ alone. Before Christ, God's people by faith believe the promises of God and they look forward to the coming of Christ. And now in the time where we are after Christ, we're privileged to be able to look back in faith upon the finished work of redemption that Jesus secured by His death and resurrection. Friends, this is redemption. It's the redemption God's people experienced uh, in Israel, first through the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who again believed in the covenant promises of God, though none of them got to see those promises come into fulfillment. It's the redemption displayed in the Exodus from Egypt. Because in mercy, God called His people out of bondage of slavery to serve Him as His own special people. Right? And we see throughout Scriptures, I will be your God and you will be my people is that repeated covenantal language of redemption. And of course, here in the book of Jonah, we've seen God's redeeming mercy. Right? He graciously saved these heathen sailors who had previously served false gods and, and who were in vain crying out to these deaf and dumb idols seeking deliverance from the storm. But they were not heard. But God, the Lord God, the one true living God, God had mercy on them, not only saving them from the storm, but also redeeming their souls so that they called out upon His name in faith and worshipped Him, offering sacrifices of thanksgiving and vowing to follow Him, the one true living God. Beloved of God, this is God's mercy displayed in redemption. Praise God that even today, even right now, God is still merciful and He still continues to save undeserving sinners, calling them to Himself and redeeming them from the judgment that they justly deserve because of their sin. This is our redemption in Christ Jesus. May we never tire of hearing about it and of God's abounding grace and mercy. Now, if God redeeming us by His mercy through Jesus Christ for our initial salvation isn't amazing enough, well, we must understand that the mercy of God isn't just a one and done kind of thing. But God, even after we've been redeemed, even after we've come to faith in Christ, God continues to pour out His mercy upon us continually over and over and over again each and every day, even several times a day. For not only are we redeemed by the mercy of God, but we're also graciously restored to fellowship with God our Savior over and over again. Because we're not yet made perfect in holiness. Again, even though we're redeemed. And we know that the judgment of of sin has been removed from us. Because Jesus has taken it upon himself. 
we also acknowledge that we still have a remnant of the sin nature in us, that, that wars within us and battles each and every day, leading us to sin against God every day. And so we're in continual need of His mercy. And friends, praise God that He is most gracious to give it. Even again, assuring us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is merciful to forgive the sins of His beloved people when they cry out to Him in faith and confess their sins. Again, we see this throughout the history of God's people in the Old Testament, this repeated display of God's mercy upon His own people who sin against Him. Right? Soon after the Lord, uh, with a mighty hand, delivered His people from slavery and bondage in Egypt, even there at the foot of Mount Sinai, they formed a golden calf in the wilderness and, and they bowed themselves down saying that this is the God who delivered us out of Egypt. They already forgot the, the pillar of cloud and fire by night, and the, the, the glory cloud by day that delivered them. God had been with them. But even at that time, God was merciful. And instead of just wiping them all out and starting over, He forgave them. And this mercy continued. Throughout the whole 40 years of the wilderness wandering, as the people sinned and rebelled repeatedly against God, complaining about this and complaining about that, never being satisfied with what the Lord had provided them. And yet He forgave them again. God remained merciful. And even after the Lord fulfilled the promise to give His people a land to call their own, even as we've been reading there in, in Judges, what happened? We, they rebelled against God and they, they sought foreign gods to worship. And again, the book of Judges has that cycle, that repeated cycle of, of rebellion, chastisement, crying out for mercy, and then the Lord's de deliverance, and then rebellion again, and it goes over and over and over again. But God continues to have mercy upon His people. It never ends. And even in the time of Jonah, God's people, Israel, were, was straying after idols and false gods. Yet God had mercy upon them. We recall that in, in Jonah's earlier ministry in, in 2 Kings, where he, uh, the uh, boundaries of God, through God's blessing upon Israel, even they were rebelling against God and they had a wicked king, yet they restored the boundaries that they had lost in previous years. But they did not turn their hearts back to the Lord. Indeed, this is likely one of the reasons why that we have the book of Jonah recorded in the scriptures. Because it's meant to be a witness to God's people of the time, even and even beyond, of the abounding grace and mercy of God toward undeserving rebellious sinners, even those whom He's already redeemed, saved, and called His own people. And of course, this is what we see in Jonah himself. Jonah rightly deserved death because of his sin and rebellion against God, especially since he was, uh, had the privilege of being called as a prophet of God. He knew the truth. He had no excuse. And yet Jonah turned away from all that, and he fled from the Lord's presence. 
But God saved him. God saved him from death at the bottom of the sea. And now after the great fish uh, spits Jonah out on dry land, Jonah has been given a second chance. A second chance at his calling and a second chance at life. Not everybody gets a second chance. But God was merciful to Jonah to give him a second chance. All because of his mercy abounding forever. Beloved of God, consider the glory and the wonder of the Lord who would not only initially save and redeem undeserving sinners. Again, that's, that's amazing enough. But who continually pours out His mercy upon us who believe time and time again. It's humbling. It ought to be humbling. And truly most praiseworthy. But there are two very important lessons related to God's mercy of redemption and restoration before we move on. First, we need to remember that if God is so merciful toward us, well, then we ought to be merciful and abounding in grace and mercy toward one another. The Apostle Paul charges in Ephesians 4 saying, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters, we must have a tender, merciful heart toward one another. The disciples wondered whether it would be sufficient. They were thought they were doing it. Hey, sh- you know, should we uh, forgive somebody, our brother, uh, seven times? Because that's a lot. But Jesus demonstrating the, uh, the, really the uh, uh, endless uh, mercy of God, declares to them, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Now this doesn't mean that with the 491st offense, that we don't have to forgive. No, Jesus is simply using a great number to show that mercy of forgiveness is to be ever-flowing, Because the mercy of forgiveness is ever flowing from God to us. And so yes, we must be merciful to others because God has been merciful to us. We can't forget that. But there's another important lesson is that we must never, we must never take the mercy of God for granted. And sadly, many, many people do. Paul anticipates this corruption of God's mercy and grace in Romans 6, 1, where he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Even though we know God will be merciful as He's promised. Friends, we ought never to foolishly and recklessly continue in sin lest we put the Lord God to the test. And the consequences for our sin brings great destruction upon ourselves and upon those around us. Never take the mercy and the grace of God for granted. Beloved God, the mercy of God truly, though, is amazing. It abounds beyond what we can possibly imagine. It never ends. And this leads us to consider some important circumstances related to the mercy of God as we experience it in our everyday lives. For our comfort and for our continued growth in faith, we must acknowledge certain things that do not change. And the most important thing that doesn't change 
is God Himself. The God whom we serve, our Creator, Redeemer, and Savior, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. With Him there is no variation or shifting shadows. He is and forever shall be the same God. And we refer to this attribute of God as His immutability. Because He's, a, because he's God, He can't change. If He could change, well then He wouldn't be God. This is, it will be important for us to keep in mind, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks when we uh, look at verse 10, where it says that God re- will relent, or some translations may have, He repents of the judgment that He planned to bring upon Nineveh. But we need to remember, first off, even before we get there, God never changes. So those verses must be understood according and held up to that unbendable attribute of God. But the immutability of God is really for us who believe, it's a great comfort. And it's really the source of our security and our assurance and salvation. Indeed, imagine where we'd be if God could change. We have, would have no assurance of salvation at all. And we'd be living in constant fear, wondering whether today God was going to suddenly change His mind and, and turn on us and, and stop being merciful. You see, a God who can, who can change is a God who can't be trusted. And if He can't be trusted, well, then we're fools for believing. And we might as well just pack it up and go home. But because God doesn't change, we have assurance and confidence that we're once and forever saved, that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, and that the grace of His mercy would be renewed each and every day, forgiving us of our sins and always holding us fast in His hands until the day of our perfection when Christ returns. God doesn't change. And because God doesn't change, We see here in Jonah 3 that his call and his mission haven't changed at all. In fact, while with only a few slight differences, the second call of Jonah here in chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 is really virtually the same wording as the original call in chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. The only real difference being the absence of Jonah's father's name and the reference to the wickedness of Nineveh. The mission remains the same. After the whole incident with Jonah, God didn't bow to Jonah's rebellion. He didn't cater to Jonah's preferences or desires. He didn't say, okay, Jonah, I I get it. I I know you've you've been through quite an ordeal now, and and I I hope you you learned your lesson, but I understand that you you really didn't want to go to Nineveh. I get that. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm I'm just going to send somebody else. And, and I'll just give you another assignment, something that's easier for you to do, something that's more pleasing to you. No. God is the sovereign Lord and Creator. He doesn't bend His will to the will of the creature. He never changes. The mission remains exactly the same. Jonah must go to Nineveh. It's been appointed before the foundation of the world that Jonah would go to Nineveh. And despite his rebellion, Jonah will go to Nineveh. Friends, this is an important reminder. 
Because the Lord has placed a calling upon each of us as well. Upon us as God's people. A calling which, which doesn't change because, again, He doesn't change. So we're called to be holy even as He is holy. And so we have these repeated calls throughout the Scriptures to live our lives conformed to His revealed will in His Word. To put off the old man of sin and to put on the new man of living in Christ Jesus and to bear the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, to which there is no end. We're called to be faithful witnesses of the Gospel. Not only in how we live, but in actually how we, what we say and how we speak. Sharing the glorious truth of what Christ has done for undeserving sinners. We're called to live as one body, seeking to serve and minister to one another, building one another up, walking alongside one another through the joys and the griefs of life, so that the world may know that we belong to Christ because they will see our great love for one another. Beloved, these are God's callings upon us. And they never change. Because the God who calls us to these things never changes. But there's something else that doesn't change. Or at least most often will remain the same as we strive to live out our lives in fulfillment of the Lord's calling. The challenges that we face. And some of the different circumstances in which we live and carry out the calling of God often goes unchanged. And that can be frustrating for us. Though this second call upon Jonah doesn't mention the wickedness of Nineveh, it doesn't mean that the description given back in chapter 1 verse 2 has changed. In fact, if anything, uh, the spiritual condition of Nineveh is only confirmed. Because God still wants Jonah to go there and to bring his word to them. Nineveh hasn't suddenly, without prompting or warning, turned from their sin and idolatry. If anything, they only had more time to sin against God and to heap upon themselves his wrath and his judgment because of the rebellion against him, their creator. And that extra time they've been given has been because of Jonah's flight. Well, this means that the challenge Jonah faces going to Nineveh remains very much the same. He's going into the heart of enemy territory. He's going to the very capital region of of Israel's chief oppressors at the time, and he must bring them God's word. And surely he would be in danger of harm, even death. Indeed, at the time, at the very time, a prophet, even ministering and serving, proclaiming God's word in Israel, wasn't easy. Because Israel was in rebellion against God, and God's own people had killed their own prophets sent by their own God, who proclaimed to them a message of judgment unless they repent. So what were these heathens going to do to a foreign prophet standing and calling it on behalf of a foreign god they don't know who brings this bad condemning news? How are they going to respond if God's own people put the prophets to death? God didn't make the mission easier. 
Joan, or Nineveh was the same wicked place it had been when the Lord first called Jonah. Brothers and sisters, learn from this. As the Lord calls us to serve Him and to be His disciples and witnesses in the world around us. Because though we're redeemed, we're still sinners, we're surrounded by sinners, and we live in a fallen and sinful world. And none of that has changed. None of that has changed since the day of of the fall in the garden. In fact, even the worldwide flood didn't change the spiritual landscape of the world or the hearts of sinful men. Right? We find that, that before the flood and after the flood, God gives the same assessment of man's heart. It's wicked and perverse. And it still is. And yet God has called us to a difficult task. The world around us hasn't gotten any better. In fact, like Nineveh, it's only gotten worse and will continue on to the return of Christ. But the wonderful comfort we need to remember is that though the circumstances of living in a sinful world haven't changed, our God remains the same as well. He remains the same, abounding in grace and mercy, the same in being faithful to His promises, and the same in strengthening and equipping us to do the very difficult task that He calls us to do. And that He does. He will give Jonah the grace. He will give Jonah the words to speak. That's what He says here. You will speak to them the message that I give to you. And He will uphold and sustain Jonah in this difficult mission. So God hasn't changed. The mission hasn't changed. And as yet, Nineveh hasn't changed. But there's one thing that has changed. That's Jonah. When God first called Jonah, Jonah rejected the call and fled. But God graciously uh, pursued Jonah and chastised him like a father who disciplines the child whom he loves. And Jonah emerges from this whole terrifying experience as a changed man as he now goes to Nineveh as the Lord commands. And so we see here that really change then is a part of the proper response to the mercy of God. Jonah was about to be consumed by death at the bottom of the sea. And yet the Lord saved him and delivered him to solid ground out of the watery grave, even out of the belly of the great fish. And so Jonah finally gets it. That God was serious in His calling. That God is all sovereign and powerful. That you can't flee from the presence of God. That God is abounding in grace and mercy and that God never changes. All these things work to affect a tremendous change in Jonah. So that he is now willing to go to Nineveh and carry out the Lord's mission. This change is what Jonah committed himself to while he was still in the belly of the fish, praying in chapter 2, verse 9, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Not only does Jonah commit to worshiping the Lord, but to pay what he has vowed implies a commitment to serve the Lord as he promised, even back when the calling of prophet first came upon him. Now we know... We know the end of the book already. We know Jonah still has issues. There's still much for him to learn. 
there's still much more change that needs to take effect in his life. And again, we don't even see the conclusion of it all because the book ends with Jonah still in conflict. He's still in need of sanctification. He's still in need of being made more and more holy after the perfect image of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we ourselves are still have the same need. But this is certainly a step in the right direction. It's a significant change that puts him closer to that most perfect goal. And we see the real fruit of this change as Jonah obeys God's command. Before when God called Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh, Jonah rebelled. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the bottom of the ship. And then he went all the way and tried to go as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could to Tarshish. But now Jonah heeds the Lord's calling in verse 3. So Jonah, instead of going down, he arose and he went to Nineveh. Again, it wasn't obedience that secured Jonah's salvation, nor was it his faithfulness that maintained his salvation. No, both his salvation and his ongoing sanctification are works of God's sovereign grace alone, as we've considered already. But his obedience here demonstrates the fruit of God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in him. Indeed, Jonah is doing what James contends and suggests. In James 2, verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's exactly what Jonah is doing here. He's showing his faith by his works, by being obedient to God's command. A changed man is walking in faith and demonstrating that faith through his obedience to the Lord. We see this further in that Jonah went to Nineveh, verse 3, according to the word of the Lord. Now there are two ways to understand this. First, Jonah goes as the Lord commanded, right? He, he obeys the command he previously rejected. But this can also mean that as the Lord purposes, that is, the word of God was the purpose for Jonah, and Jonah has now conformed himself to God's word. Well, both of these subtle meanings are in effect here. Jonah obeys God, and he's also now conformed to living out his life according to God's word. So we see that here again, after the beginning of the book, Jonah was an antitype, that he was the opposite picture of Christ. Well, here in chapter uh, in chapter 2 and here in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, he is a type of Christ. As he walks in faith in the mercy of God. Because we know that Jesus willingly submitted himself to the will of the Heavenly Father. Even taking up the difficult calling of enduring the humiliation and suffering on the cross for sins. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 that Jesus, the Son of God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was able to do this because he trusted in the immutable, unfailing, never-ending mercy of God who remains true to his promises, who never fails, and who never changes. Indeed, the assurance that Jesus had and the assurance that Jonah here experiences 
friends, is the same assurance that we can graciously possess as well as we seek to conform our lives to the Word of God. And so the challenge that's presented to us here in Jonah 3 is that as we seek to live our lives in obedience and according to the Word of the Lord, that we have confidence in our unchanging God to bless us with His abounding grace and mercy as He seeks to form and fashion us after that perfect image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's all to the praise of His glorious name. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we do rejoice and give thanks for Your Word, for its truth, for this challenge and this reminder here that You never change. And what a wonderful, wonderful... We can't even begin to imagine this wonder of Your attribute that you never change and that your mercy never changes. it never fails it continually is poured out upon us yes we look back and we we can rejoice and give thanks at the salvation that you secured for us and from uh, for uh, some of us we we've uh, were saved long ago and yet the longer we've lived our lives we see that we have sinned more against you after we believed than before we believed. And yet your mercy never fails. That you realize, that you know, you created us, you know our weaknesses, you know that we have that remnant of the sin nature in us, and that those daily battles are difficult and challenging, and that we're fighting against the flesh. But you redeem us, and you restore us, You're convicting us of our sin. We confess our sins. And then you once again wash us and cleanse us. Making us new. All because of what your son Jesus accomplished for us. Again Lord we just praise you and thank you for this. And we pray especially that we would never ever take it for granted. That we wouldn't just blatantly pursue sin. Because we rest and and look so well God will forgive me. May we never put you to the test in such a way. But we rejoice and give thanks that we can always be assured of your never failing mercy. And that even as you have given us this great example, that we would even be merciful to one another. And it's so easy for us to lose patience with one another. But we praise you and thank you, Lord, that you would encourage us to be merciful, even as you have been merciful to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenge. And again, we praise you and thank you for the work of Christ that has made all this possible. And that even as you call us to live our lives in this world, that we would be faithful witnesses declaring this truth, knowing that you will equip us to give us the words to speak when we need to speak, and to be witnesses for the glory of the gospel of Christ, all to the praise of your glorious name. Father, we pray that you especially impress these truths upon each of, your, of our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, drawing us closer to yourself. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.